0: Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the Ageless Wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles, 90.7 FM, and streaming for the world at kpfk.org. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Our guest is going to discuss a favorite topic of mine, and that's emotional intelligence a topic that I addressed in workshops and seminars for years before I ever had the phrase emotional intelligence. It wasn't until the release of a book by that title in 1995 by Daniel Goleman that the phrase emotional intelligence emerged as a popular way to talk about self-awareness, managing your emotions, empathy, and the quality of leadership that allows us to manage other people. And the quality of leadership that allows us to influence the way other people feel as well, not in an exploitative way, but for the greater good of all concerned, whether it's a family unit that we're talking about or a business partnership or a large corporation, uh, social activism, Whenever we work in groups of people, it's the emotionally intelligent women and men who rise to the top. Not always the best educated in terms of uh, their their mental intelligence, certainly a quality that's needed to get along in this world and to be successful, but it's not as valuable as emotional intelligence. And to think that this field is only 25 years old, is a little stunning, but, hell, we've only had cars for 130 years, so, (laughs) there you go, light bulbs are a fairly new invention, we must keep that in mind, computers only about 30 years, the internet 25 years, I know, time flies, so emotional intelligence is a burgeoning field, brand new, just coming out, and yet, wow, just jam-packed with wisdom, Before I introduce my guest today, the author of a wonderful book called The Other Kind of Smart, I'd like to tell you a little story from my private practice. Now, all of my clients, and for that matter, all of my students enjoy confidentiality, so I'm not going to obviously identify anybody, even though this goes way back (laughs) in my practice, maybe 30 years, 35 years ago. It's really an enlightening story, I think, and I'll always remember it because it was so impactful, such a learning lesson for me, as well as my clients, a couple who had been married for some time, having some conflict, came in for couples counseling. At the time, I had a really long sofa in my office, and they sat as far apart from each other as they possibly could and opposite ends of this sofa. And after maybe 45 minutes of discussion back and forth about the issues that each had with the other one and how they could perhaps improve the quality of their communication and also be better listeners and to acknowledge what they heard the other person saying and so on, I asked them to tell the other person one at a time How they're feeling now after 45 minutes or so of sitting together in mediation and counseling. And I began with the wife, the woman. And I said, I'd like you to turn, face your husband, and tell him how you feel. And without hesitation, she turned, looked directly at her husband, and said, I feel frightened. I feel confused, I feel abandoned, I feel betrayed, I feel lonely, I feel angry, I'm deeply hurt, I'm sad, and she went on for quite a while with her description of how she felt. And then I had the husband address that. This was the process. I called it the heart talk. He had to play back. Whether he agreed or not, didn't matter. She was talking about her feelings. How could he disagree, right? It wasn't about him. Every statement that she made was an I statement, not a you statement. And so he had to play that back. That was the rules of the game. He had to acknowledge that he understood how she felt. Then it was his turn. Time to reverse roles, right? So... I say to the husband, now turn, face your wife directly. Because they kept turning away from each other, right? I said, face your wife directly and tell her how you feel. And so he turned, looked at her directly, and again, without hesitation, said, I feel you're a bitch. Well, immediately, I interjected. and I said, wait a minute. That's not a feeling. He said, yes, it is. It's how I feel. I feel she's a bitch. And I said, if you list feelings like sadness, loneliness, heartache, uh, jealousy, envy, hatred, anger, fear, you're a bitch is not on that list. It's, It's not a feeling. He said, what is it? I said, it's a thought. It's a judgment that you're making. Now, tell her how you feel. And he could not do that. And I said, Well, I can help you. He said, You know how I feel? I said, Well, I got a pretty good idea. I can name some of your feelings. First of all, you're angry. Can you say, I'm angry? And he did, but it was almost like training a parrot, right? He wasn't really willing to acknowledge how angry he was. And to the extent that he did, it was her fault that he was angry. He didn't see his emotions as a personal response that said anything about him. He just had such a difficult time expressing on an emotional level. Another thing that we often do, the vast majority of human beings is similar. When we use the word like after I feel, I feel like you are the problem. I feel like you don't do this or that. I feel like you always or you never. Well, just because you put I feel in front of a statement that is clearly a thought or a judgment doesn't make it a feeling. It's still a thought. You just said, I feel like, I think, (laughs) right? I feel, I think, and this is the problem. Until we expose ourselves to the basic principles of emotional intelligence, few of us have a natural ability to discern and distinguish the difference between a thought and a feeling. Now, maybe you think you do. So, ask yourself, what is the difference? What are some of the differences? Can you list them? How is a thought different from a feeling? I often hear debates. Do thoughts cause feelings or feelings cause thoughts? And it's one of those silly binary propositions where, in fact, both things are true. Thoughts and feelings stimulate each other. There's an interplay. It reminds me of a ping pong game and sort of goes back and forth. Thought, feeling, thought, feeling. Thought, 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 feeling, feeling, thought, feeling, thought feeling, thought, feeling, feeling, feeling. Thought, thought 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 thought. But what's missing? Self awareness. And that's where emotional intelligence starts. With being aware of your internal process, beginning with the crazy idea that your feelings, your emotional feelings, are your feelings. (laughs) They're not being done to you. Nobody made you feel angry. Nobody made you feel anyway, good, bad, or otherwise. Nobody can make you feel loved or lovable or loving. An example I used to give in my seminars is uh, a little puppy comes up. little puppy runs to you and you pick it up and hold it up and it begins to lick your face and you get this wonderful rush, this loving, oh my God, this puppy loves me. Oh, it's so wonderful, so cute, such an adorable little puppy. He's making me feel loved. The puppy loves me. Oh, how wonderful. Now, stop and think about that for a second. Are you psychic? Do you really believe you're feeling the puppy's love for you? That this puppy has made a decision that you're lovable and that you're somehow so empathetic that you can feel that puppy's love for you? The love you feel is your love. It was inside you all the time. What the puppy did was take away your fear that you're not deserving of love. And so you let go of the fear and allowed from the reservoir of love within you those wonderful feelings to rush forth. And if you have a date with somebody who you're really interested in. You really are attracted. This is really a great person. And they smile at you and they seem so interested and they're such good listeners. And then he or she asks for your phone number or offers their phone number. And you're just walking on air after the date. You're just thinking, wow, this this could be really something. I think I may be falling in love do I believe in love at first sight? I want you to really consider whether that rush, that warmth, that wonderful, ineffable feeling of love did not come from the other person. What you got from the other person was permission to feel lovable. And maybe you don't need another person's permission to feel lovable. And so whether it's heartache, Sadness, depression, apathy, anger, fear, sadness. Or love and happiness and joy and fulfillment. We're not victims of our emotions. (laughs) They come from us. They come out of us. Our emotional feelings are our responses to a situation. Now, maybe you know this, and so maybe I sound like I'm patronizing you, and I'm sorry if that's your impression, because I'm not patronizing you, but I'm under the impression, in fact, I know for certain that the vast majority of people are not aware of this, that the feeling is your response. More about this with my guest right after this short break. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. KPFK celebrates Women and Women's History Month. No one even considers
1: the possibility that racism, for example, is not a symptom. Severe racism is not a symptom of some kind of disorder. It may be the cause. Toni Morrison, circa 1981. Living in a racist society drives
0: people crazy. That alone can do it. It doesn't have to be, you know, all the routine sort of psychoanalytic reasons for, I mean, other than the sort of chemical reasons, for madness. Some of it is right there. There's a fundamental dichotomy, a split. It's the way in which a human perceives the world. Happy Women's History Month from KPFK. KPFK is listener-sponsored radio, which you can support at kpfk.org. KPFK on your radio at 90.7 FM, and our guest today is, as I mentioned earlier, going to talk to us about emotional intelligence. This is a personal favorite of mine, this topic. It's something that I was talking about on this radio station and in my public seminars for years. But I didn't have that handle, that, that title, Emotional Intelligence, until the mid-90s when Daniel Goleman wrote a book by that title, Emotional Intelligence. And it really was a, a breakthrough book for a lot of us, I think, who were working in the personal development field. And we knew emotions were real important, but uh, there wasn't much research that was available and uh, Goldman really put it together. He doesn't take as much credit for it as he deserves, frankly, because he's uh, in in his initial book and others that he has uh, written since. He talks about some of the pioneers going back into the 70s and 80s in this field. But uh, I give him credit. I, I think that was a profound book for me. And so it's a pleasure to have our guests today to fill us in on this whole topic of emotional intelligence, which you may be surprised to find has more to do with your success than your mental intelligence, even though that's the side that gets educated in school. And we'll talk about why with Harvey Deutschendorf of Alberta, Canada, our guest today on KPFK. And Harvey, good afternoon and Welcome to Los Angeles
1: Radio. Well, thank you, Michael. I'm very excited to be on. I'm really looking forward to it.
0: You wrote a book called The Other Kind of Smart, which I think is a pretty smart title. How would you come to write that?
1: The uh, The title or how I came to write the book?
0: <laughs> well, let me ask you which came first, because as an author, I'm always curious yeah. about that.
1: Well, I decided to to, to write the book, first, and then I, I, I came up with, uh, you know, a bunch of different titles, actually, for the book, and, and um, you know, uh, about five or six, I had some help coming up with titles, and I decided that this one was the best title, it was the most catchy and, and everything, so that's, yeah, that's how I came up with the title, but how I came to write the book is kind of a long story, I'll keep, the, keep it... Uh, you know, fairly short, but you talked about Daniel Goleman in the nineties that came up with uh, his his book, and the you know the world started to hear about emotional intelligence, and and that's what turned me on to emotional intelligence. That's when I first heard about it, and uh, there was a, a a page four of the book exactly um, was a a piece that said all your intelligence can come to naught once your emotions hold sway, and it was like my aha moment. And it was like, wow, this is this this is what the problem is, you know. I'm I always thought I was smart, like cognitively. I, you know, did okay in school, and um, you know, I thought I was pretty smart, and my my principal thought I was too. But I realized I wasn't emotionally smart, <laughs> and because I wasn't emotionally smart, I had a lot of. Issues from you know growing up, my you know my my father and was very very abusive. Uh, my uh, family came over to Canada as refugees after the end of the Second World War. I uh, would lost everything during the war and uh, had to borrow money from their church for for passage. Um, most of the, the family, well, almost all of them stayed behind and resettled in Europe, but my my father decided he wanted to be independent, so he decided. Should come to Canada. We came to Canada, first 12 years, just terribly, terribly poor. Mother talked about feeding my brother and I on an orange a day. We lived in this shack. My father was always angry, and uh, you know it got worse we, once we moved out of that house. So we got a little more money, electricity, telephone, and our new home. But, but it was, things were getting worse and worse in the family, very angry. For me, my escape was uh, getting an education. And I did well in school. I was lucky. That was my escape out of that whole world. And uh, I always wanted to do more in the world, be part, you know, see the larger world. And and uh, you know, I was always a dreamer. So um, education was my way out of this whole world that I grew up in. And then I I read self-help books and uh, I even gone to counseling, and nothing seemed to to really make sense. And then one day I heard of Daniel Goldman's book. Emotional intelligence. Why it can matter more than IQ? And that you know, never people hadn't heard about emotional intelligence, and so I, I grabbed the book and and uh, said, you know, I, that line that I came across: uh, the emotional intelligence. Your intelligence can come to naught once your emotions hold sway. It grabbed me. After that, I threw myself totally into you know learning everything I could about emotional intelligence. I did, uh, you know, did took courses uh, on it, uh, uh, took certification, I read everything I could. And then there there was men's organizations that were starting to form, and it was uh, created places that men could go and they could talk, share emotions, be, you know, open, transparent. And and so I joined up and I started working on myself. I did some really heavy-duty emotional work, and uh, I realized, you know, uh, why my life wasn't working as you know, the way I could, I was carrying anger, um, which had served me at one point. And it served me well because uh, I, unlike my brother, who ended up having a, a nervous breakdown and spent the rest of his life basically in, 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 in self-loathing and, uh, uh, you know, things, uh, that uh, very very sad life. Anger has kept me moving forward it kept driving me. It was my motivator, but it wasn't serving me well anymore. I wanted to come from a place of love. So I worked on all this in, in the men's group. I started to develop self-awareness of why it was the way I was, how I was interacting with other people, and I started to work on a lot of things. And my life started to change. And uh, as my life started to change, I, you know, more and more, I started to think about emotional intelligence and and, and, and the changes that were going on in me because I had learned about emotional intelligence. And I started talking about it to anybody that would listen only at work, but outside of work. And then I decided, this is really powerful. This is really powerful, and uh, you know, people need to know about this. They need to hear about it. They need to use it. And as I was talking about it, people would come up to me and they'd say, "This is really interesting stuff. Uh, how can I? Is there a book that I can I can pick up that I can read about it that I can start using?" It? And I thought about it. I said, "No." At the time, the only books out there were very academic, you know, like even like Goldman's, or or, or just totally focused on on business. It's not if somebody's gonna write a book that lets people use this right away. So I thought, well, I'm a somebody, so I thought, well, I'll do it. You know, I, I can do this, and uh, you know, it wasn't wasn't easy, but I eventually found a publisher and uh, an agent first, and then a publisher, an American publisher, and and they they managed to find publishers in China, Vietnam, and also when I uh, uh, got it published in Arabic. So it uh, just took over my life, uh, basically. And um, now I'm doing it full time. And uh, uh, so I wrote the book. And, uh, yeah, so uh, it's become my passion. It's become my life. And uh, that's that. what I, you know what keeps me going. It's your story and <laughs> you're sticking to it. I st- I'm sticking to
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to talk about anger because I think it is uh, – the most tyrannical of all of the fear-based or negative feelings. Uh, I try to avoid using the term negative feeling. We call feelings that hurt negative because they hurt, but actually they can be quite valuable. So let's dive into this uh, idea of anger. But before we do, there's a concept that I think is real fundamental in emotional intelligence that I'd like to hear you expand on. And that's the whole idea, that emotions are really not done to us so much as they come from us. And clearly other people or circumstances or situations stimulate our feelings. But when we say that somebody made me angry or made me feel jealous or, I mean they may be poking us, but if somebody insults you and nine other people, your feelings are going to be different from the feelings of the nine other people. Our our emotions are responses, aren't they, Harvey?
1: They're responses. Yes, they are. So, um, you know, I I talk about this in my talks all the time. It's uh, so... The way we respond to, to, to others uh, are based on our, um, the way we feel about ourselves and our, and our past experiences. So, you know, um, just uh, thinking about that, we're, we're being triggered all the time. People, you know, the way people look, uh, the, the sound of their voice, you know, they, they, uh, you know, the tone of their voice, the way they speak is triggering something in us. That determines our response, but what a trigger! it's, it's not exactly the person even, it's our experience with that in the past. It reminds us of something in our past, and that can go right back to childhood. Um, you know, we do a lot of, of that kind of thing in our men's group. If, you know, somebody's experiencing anger. We drill right down and say, "When's the first time you experienced that?" And a lot of times, it's right in childhood. So, we're not so much reacting to the present situation and the person that's calling us that. We're reacting to our past experience. So, the more aware we are of that, the more we can control it. And um, you know, we're all we're responsible for our for our, our reaction. We we can control it, um, and. At prime example of that was of course uh, victor frankl's book uh, man's search for meaning he went through the most horrific condition that you can imagine experience in a in a, in a concentration camp and he survived and what he found out was uh there, there's a, a pause between um react and respond the, the, the last of our our um, our uh Powers that can be taken away uh, cannot be taken away. It's how we respond to a situation. Everything else can be taken from us, but we choose how we respond to a situation. And um, you know, th- th- the trick is to respond, not react. When we react, we're we're um, reacting from our emotions. Uh, we it takes uh, about six seconds of when something comes into. Uh, our um, awareness—it's—it—it it comes into our emotional awareness before it comes into our our thinking brain, our, our neocortex. Uh, it comes into something called the amygdala, and it takes a, li- a few seconds before that, you know, that comes into our thinking, powerful brain. Now, that's how things like road rage happen. You say, well, h- how did how did somebody? You know, do something so crazy. This is intelligent, or intelligent person. Well, the reason was because that it did never reach their, their their thinking brain, their prefrontal cortex, that powerful brain. So, if we react from our emotions, uh, it's it, it's it's not going to be good. Uh, we have to give some time for it to reach our, our, our thinking brain. It's about six seconds, um, scientists tell us. And we can make a much, we can respond instead of reacting.
0: I think I surprised myself years ago when I realized that as a primitive drive, a survival instinct, which, as you say, comes from the amygdala, the fight or flight center in the brain that anger is really part of a defense mechanism. It's uh, in terms of evolutionary psychology, uh, it promoted survival by scaring the adversity away.
1: Oh, yeah, well, uh, anger isn't actually, um, uh, Michael. It's not actually a, a what do you call it? A primary emotion. But anger, uh, o- it's it's over top of, it overlies a lot of other emotions. Fear would be one. Uh, for afraid of something, um, and um, you know, anger can override that fear when we get angry enough. And I, I've, no, I've, I've, you know, I, I even experienced it myself. You know, uh, I remember being bullied one time, and and finally, um, I, I had a lot of fear, and finally, I had enough, and and, and I, I just lashed out. You know, and and I didn't want that fear anymore, so I went to anger. Um, it can override um, a, a lot of other uh, emotions. Under there, sadness—you don't want to feel sadness—is difficult. Anger is an easy emotion, and in in a lot of cases, it's it's an emotion that. Uh, people understand and that are okay with, they expect, especially from f- from men, from males. That's the most common emotion, and it's the most acceptable emotion in our, in our society. But it co- covers over a lot that's underneath our feelings of abandonment, feelings of shame, all kinds of feelings that are lying underneath that anger. But those are hard to get at, and they're very difficult to express. So anger is comes out. Maybe
0: a good place to begin to understand our anger is to search for the hurt. What do you think?
1: Yeah, exactly. Is, what is it covering up? Uh, you know, for me, uh, my anger covered up, uh, you know, uh, uh, sadness, a, a lot of disappointment, um, you know, maybe abandonment even, um, a lot of things like that. I didn't want to go there. I, I, I saw, I mean, I saw was what happened to uh, to my brother um, and I didn't want to go to that place. And I thought, well, you know, uh, sort of uh, self-loathing, um, you know, uh, you can go to depression, um, places you don't want to go to. But anger a- anger overrides that, and it keeps you going. So, um, yeah, uh, a lot not in my life I could be sad about. I could, I could get depressed. But anger kept me from doing that, and it kept me moving. It kept me moving, which was, yeah.
0: I think... Part of the problem that people have with a discussion like this is that if we teach people that there's no value in blaming others for causing you to be angry, indeed, if you do that, you're giving your power away, mm-hmm. and th- they have to change before your your anger is uh, is mitigated. But most people are given the way we tend to think sort of a binary either or turn to, well, then am I to blame? If they're not to blame, then I'm to blame. Right. And I think it's difficult to suggest that, or to really get through to people that no, forget blame. Nobody's to blame. The word we should be using is response ability.
1: Yeah, e- exactly. Um, uh, yeah, responsibility. We're all responsible at some level, and and that that for me was a big turning point when I, when I was uh, you know learning about emotional intelligence when I joined the men's group. Uh, that's one thing that very very big on is 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 being accountable, being responsible for for your for your words and and, and your actions in your life. Totally responsible, you know, regardless of your circumstances or what you grew up into, you. You know, we are the ones who are ultimately responsible, and and uh, taking that on, you know, may be difficult, and it was difficult. You know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to you know, blame others. I wanted to blame, you know, my, my family, um, you know, for, for, uh, you know, uh, that I, things that I had not received in life and for, you know, a difficult situation they put me in and didn't, didn't have the, um, you know, the things that other, other people had, uh, not giving me what, to, you know, so that, that was easier than finally taking responsibility and saying, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what cards I'm dealt, um, in this life, The only thing I can do is do the best with with the hand that I have. That's the only thing that makes any sense.
0: Well, there's a phrase, blind rage. So anger confounds and confuses us and makes it even more difficult to understand that the stimulus is not to blame and you're not to blame, but... You do have the ability to choose a response. That's, that's my definition of responsibility when we talk about emotional intelligence. That, that space you referred to in Viktor Frankl's writing, the space between what's done to you and what you do with it to open that pause (laughs) we talked about this a couple of weeks ago here uh on this show on kpfk the i called it the pause that refreshes us borrowing from (laughs) coca-cola or whoever it was (laughs) if we can open up that space between the hit that we take emotionally and substitute as you say a response a deliberate purposeful appropriate response for that reflex that reaction, our lives are going to go a lot better, don't you think?
1: Oh, absolutely yeah, well then're we're, we're in control rather than our emotions and uh, you know the the amygdala is, is our also our emotional brain. It's a primitive brain that we had, and um, that uh, you know ba- back from when we lived in in, in caves, you know, uh, we, you know, we have to have that because we have to be on guard all the time and you know, it's either fight or flight. So we have to have that, you know, warn us of danger. But, uh, you know, we don't need that anymore, really. But but still there and it can still really trip us up. And like I mentioned, worst case scenario, road rage, you know, people are killed. It, you know, it does. It does. It, you know, creates a situation where we do things we regret for the rest of our lives. If we're, you know, if that message doesn't get to our, our thinking brains. It's like a dog chasing
0: a car. You know, people in road rage would go after somebody like, well, what are you going to do if you catch them? You're in a car. You're driving down the <laughs> freeway. You know, it's. Uh, but we're not, we're not thinking. We're not thinking. And we're, we so self-awareness, the ability to think clearly, yes, really is a function of being responsible for how we feel, for the emotion that stimulated the feeling
1: yeah and and if we're feeling strong emotions, knowing having the awareness and and having the ability to just turn it off and you know for for, for a, a short while until we can you know get get our get our powerful thinking brains in, in in control you know be able to respond instead of reacting from our emotions i think breathing helps breathing helps
0: <laughs> yeah up under these big slow deep breaths yeah. But it's a trick remembering to do that. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. My guest is Harvey Deutschendorf, and he's an author, a speaker, seminar leader on the topic of emotional intelligence. And we'll have more right after this. Stay with us. Hi,
1: this is John Densmore, drummer for The Doors. I understand that there are folks resistant to be told what to do, but actually wearing a mask will protect you. You know, not only does it keep you from infecting other people, well, it might save your own life. So uh, annoying as it is, hard to breathe and all that stuff, wear your mask. I'm putting mine on right now. Thanks. The time to hesitate is through No time to wallow in the mire.
0: You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK 90.7 FM all over Southern California. In Santa Barbara, we're heard at 98.7 FM, 93.7 FM in northern San Diego, and up in the high desert, Ridgecrest and China Lake, we're at 99.5. want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you again for your pledges and donations to listener-sponsored KPFK. Finished our fund drive a few weeks ago, but, uh, you know, every show I do, I like to remind you that you can be a member of this radio station and vote in the elections. You can... Uh, support, you know, help pay the bills. 90% plus of the money that runs this radio station comes from folks just like you. And it's simple and easy to do. You don't have to wait for us to do a fundraising campaign. Just go to kpfk.org slash donate, and you'll be able to make a contribution that is tax deductible. And... Like I say, be a member of the community, a member of the KPFK family. And uh, think about that Sustainer Circle, too. You'll see that. That's great. You can just have five or ten bucks a month pulled out of your more if you got it. I know some people are still working, and a lot of you are going back to work because we seem to be rounding the corner on COVID, so that's good news. Uh, think about Sustainer Circle and support what supports you. Listener-sponsored free speech radio for all of Southern California, KPFK. We're talking about emotional intelligence this week. My guest, Harvey Deutschendorf, is in Alberta, our Canadian neighbor. And he's written a book uh, called The Other Kind of Smart. And you've probably heard it said, if you haven't, you should have by now that emotional intelligence is much more of a requirement for your success than mental intelligence. I think we all know really smart people who lack social skills and they don't get very far. And on the other hand, there's some people that, you know, maybe they didn't go to college or never finished college. And yet, uh, boy, they've got away with people and, They come into a room, it just lights up, and they're so successful and prosperous, and and they're healthy physically, mentally and emotionally. They seem spiritually centered. What's going on for them? Well, that's emotional intelligence. And there's really four pillars. Harvey, you want to help me go through these four pillars that uh, Goleman writes about I think it starts with self-awareness and then the whole idea of managing your emotions those are the first two yeah
1: yeah yeah the the first of all it's uh, self-awareness and then it's uh, others awareness and then it's uh, social awareness which is awareness of your surroundings uh, surroundings of others and then uh, social management so uh, really what, what emotional intelligence is the ability to recognize and differentiate and manage your own emotions and uh the uh um, you know the emotions of others in your environment but uh, uh the, the best description that i've heard is also the simplest this is this, this, this organization that trains it it says it's just the way you show up it's the way we show up and uh, yeah makes all the difference uh you know and um, you know you mentioned uh six you know uh, it's more important than iq for success interesting back in the day that uh well, you know, when when a um, million dollars was was a lot of money, <laughs> seems like it's only a billion now. <laughs> There's so many millionaires they don't even list them anymore. But uh, you know that uh, they they had interviewed 300 uh, sort of uh, multi-millionaires in in the U.S. And uh, these were people that had, for the most cases, made their own money. They hadn't inherited the money, you know, they started businesses. Some of them were, were professionals that had done well. But they asked them, give us the top 30 reasons you think you've been successful. And um, IQ was, was one of the lowest you know, the top ten were all uh, to do with you know emotional intelligence, being able to to build relationships with others, being able to form you know be, being a part of a community, having people like them, having people trust them. Do this. They're all related to emotional intelligence, Michael. And and uh, you know the funny thing is when I looked at these these people that started businesses, none of them you know most of them didn't have the the, the, the marks to get into your high-end colleges or universities, they, you know, average average stuff, you know. So the only thing that really associates intelligence is with, with, you know, the marks that you get in school. Uh, but other, when you get beyond that, and, and it, it's associated with getting your first job, you know, going to a prestigious college or university. But once it gets beyond that, when we when go beyond that, it's, it's our emotional intelligence that really, really makes the difference out there.
0: I think it's important to point out that there's an order to this, that we can't really be very empathetic if we don't understand those same feelings in ourselves. It really begins with self-awareness before we can look at an, an employee or a co-worker or a, or a boss or a customer or vendor or whomever and say, gosh, I know how that person feels. And be a good leader in that situation. First, you have to have some personal experience interpreting the meaning of your feeling, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And and, and you know, you, you would when, when you know how you are aware of how you feel in a situation, you you can have uh, empathy for other people that that are in that situation. But you have to have uh, the experience, and you have to have the awareness. The awareness, self awareness, is the the root. It's the basis of all, uh, of all emotional intelligence. Uh, you know, un- unless we're self-aware, we probably aren't aware of how we come across to others. You know, and, uh, you know, you, I mean, you've run into people all the time, I'm sure, that tell you their, their life story, and they started talking to you about something, and they're totally oblivious, oblivious to the fact that you may not have the slightest interest in what they're saying, but they'll carry on, totally lacking in self-awareness.
0: I'm curious to hear you talk about how we can each of us as individuals in our own way, perhaps find the meaning and the significance of our emotions, because I find that I guess for more or less obvious reasons, we have a tendency to think about our feelings and people will say, well, I feel like this because, or why do I feel like? And then that's followed by a thought or a judgment of some sort. Men in particular, speaking for myself, but I think men in particular have been taught as boy children that feelings are a weakness. And so we tend to repress our feelings and we we don't really understand, how do I discern, Harvey? How, how does anyone, male or female, figure out or decide why they feel the way they feel and what it means?
1: Well, um, yeah, th- that's a good question, Michael. We do a lot of that kind of work in our in our men's uh, group, and uh, it's called the organization called the Mankind Project. And uh, a lot of it, uh, the way we feel goes right back to, to uh, you know, our childhood, you know, the, because of the, how, how we experience different things and uh, being able to just even uh, pinpoint the area in our body where we're feeling, you know, stress, we're feeling anger, that type of thing. But being able to pinpoint the experiences that, that make us uh, make us happy just being able to imagine, just to think of situations we're in where we felt very happy or or situations we're in where we felt stressed and and angry. We can take ourselves to those situations when we're feeling stressful. uh, We can go to the places, we can imagine places where we felt very happy, we felt very relaxed. Having that, that sort of awareness... But we need to really go inside ourselves. We need, we need to become uh, – one of, one of the things we can do is meditate. Uh, we, we can, uh, you know, re- really slow ourselves down and think deeply uh, about our emotions to become more aware of them. And the other thing is, too, uh, we can have people around us that will point things out to us that, uh, you know, uh, want uh, what's best for us but will be open and honest with us uh, about how we come across.
0: Now, when you talk about meditating or contemplating a feeling, an emotion, is there a process to that that you've learned or that you teach? Or is that pretty much self-guided, just sit with it and see what occurs to you?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, it's, it's basically, there's no real secret to, to meditating. You know, just breathing. Breathing is important. You know, take four breaths in uh, from our abdomen and then slowly through our nose and then slowly release from our mouth. That's how I, I meditate. But trying to take, our, we have to get our thoughts. Uh, the hardest thing about meditating is our thoughts want to come in constantly. And for me, it's a struggle um, being able to get to a, a place where I'm not thinking. I'm just aware of what's going on in my body, you know, and I have uh, different feelings that are going on, but we have to block the thoughts out. And that's the most difficult thing. Uh, And it's difficult for me, Michael, because I have ADD. So it's really a struggle trying to keep those thoughts from, you know, coming into my mind when I'm meditating. But when I'm able to, I'm very aware of what's going on in my body. Uh, I'm aware of any stress. I'm aware of any any sort of feelings that come on. I'm totally aware of anything, any, any kind of twitch, any pains, anything Totally, aware, which normally, totally oblivious to in, in the day to day activities. I, you know, where we're totally, people are totally unaware of what's going on in their bodies, their emotions, how they're feeling.
0: I was contemplating emotions one day, my my feelings, obviously, uh, because I always find I'm going up the wrong trail when I obsess on why somebody made me feel the way that I feel, or worse yet. What they're feeling, and me g- guessing motives for their feelings. No, I'm really off track. But to just sit and reflect, just sit. You know, in Eastern philosophy, the phrase is "just sit with it," mm-hmm. let it let it have its way with you in a, as you say, a calm and quiet state. And the allegory that occurred to me, Harvey, was being a little kid, or maybe with little children, at a city park where there was a pond and some ducks. And the little child, or the little child in me, would want to chase the ducks, right? Yes. <laughs> and that's what my thoughts wanted to do, is chase down these feelings and get my hands on them and wring the truth <laughs> out of this feeling, shake it up, you know. But uh, my feelings would always outrun me like mm-hmm. the ducks. But just as a child learns as they get older to sit and spread some breadcrumbs and wait quietly for the ducks to come slowly closer and closer. When I did that with my feelings, they too came closer and closer until there was no separation between me and the feeling. And the emotional feeling just revealed itself, not just in my head, but in my whole body as an awareness, usually some sort of aha, some illumination, you know, the light comes on, it might be a light bulb popping on, more often it was the dawning of an idea, you know, a dawning of self-awareness. Is that something you can relate to?
1: Absolutely, yeah, that was beautiful, you know, the way you described that. uh, Yes, uh, the more we try to grab our emotion, you know, we, we can't force our emotions, um, you know, uh, that we chase after them. Uh, no. And, and, uh, yeah, exactly. We have a great deal of problem in, in our Western society, just being, being still. And, uh, and like you say, emotions will, will only come to us when we're still, we, we can't chase them. We can't, you know, make demands of them or anything that we, and, and things. And I, you know, uh, I noticed what I am, uh, meditating, how I uh, don't actually get there all the time. But once in a while, I know that I've blocked everything out when I'm just sitting there and, uh, you know, I'm seeing colors, uh, vibrant colors, and it's just a beautiful experience. And I know I've blocked out all, you know, all, all the noise, all the thoughts and stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, I, want to, I want to stay there. I want to, you know, just I feel everything. I feel every twitch, you know, every itch in my body, everything. That's, that's a wonderful place to be. It's hard work getting there because of, uh, you know, well, you know, everything that's going on in our world. Uh, and say in Eastern cultures, they they seem to uh – do much better at that just blocking that the noise out and, and sitting with our feelings and, and their awareness is is, is very uh, very much higher and and they're they don't uh, you know the buddhist philosophy they're able to block out a lot of the stimulus that makes people angry causes very very strong negative emotions because they're able to be still
0: we've talked for the most part about so-called negative feelings—again, uh, the ones that hurt, the ones that uh, make us angry, the sadness, uh, heartbreak, jealousy and envy, hatred. I'm going to ask you now the hardest question of all. So brace yourself.
1: Okay. Is love a feeling? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think it is. Uh, I. Um... You know, I, I yeah, I, I believe it's a feeling. Uh, you know, I felt feel love. How does it feel? Uh, it feels um, to me. It feels very uh, calming. It feels very. Uh, um, uh, it's a beautiful feeling, um, and uh, uh, yeah, it, it feels. Um, it's almost uh, a feeling of, of um, deep connection. It feels like it's. Uh, it feels like it's. Um, yeah, deep connection. It's a safe place. Um, you know, it's it's, it's like uh, the most comfortable place that I can that I can ever ever imagine. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very hard to describe though. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was saving the hardest yeah, for last. It is hard to describe. I haven't really thought about that that much uh, because we never talk about uh, you know we don't talk about love we talk about you know sadness we talk about fear we talk about uh, glad happiness and 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 you know anger uh, as emotions we never talk re- really about try to discover what l- love feels like yeah good question
0: well here's why I ask I'm, I'm sort of laying a trap for you because it occurs to me that all those things that you said are indeed qualities of love And these are ineffable experiences, so we don't really have the – we leave it to the poets, right, Mm -hmm. and the lyricists uh, to try to find words for love. But at the same time, it occurs to me that love has other qualities. It brings up jealousy and envy and uh, anger. And even flashes of hatred, people will say the nastiest things to the people they love the most—things hmm. that they would never say to a stranger.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the, yeah, I, I'm not sure if if that's really love. That—that's the question that I—that that, that i am wondering to you know when I, when you're talking about that, if that's really love or it's wanting to. Uh, um, Love is a tricky one because it, it can be love and hate are very close. <laughs> it's emotions. And uh, it, it could be wanting to possess. Uh, you can't possess love. Um, and, and maybe when we want to possess, that's when those other negative emotions like hate and anger come out. And it doesn't become love anymore. Uh, true love um, isn't something that uh, actually even dies if the, the person leaves or leaves us. Yeah.
0: But I think love has a relationship with fear because if we, as you indicated, believe we can possess love or objects that we love, my wife, my kids, my parents, Mm -hmm. my friends, my, I don't know, my car, this opportunity. What if I lose it? Yeah. And that creates the fear, the loss of love yeah. And so now we're objectifying love as something that you can either win or lose. You can either have and hold or be abandoned by. And <laughs> I think that's the mistake. That's one of the big mistakes we make in, in talking about love.
1: Well, I mean, uh, you know, love is, I mean, um, I love my, you know, my my partner Sandra very very much for but you know, I'm going to, she will lose me or I will lose her. One of us is going to, you know, to pass away. And, we, you know, we've talked about that and thinking that's going to be very, very difficult. But um, love is basically putting something out there without any, you can't control it. It's it's going to uh, happen. Whatever happens is going to happen. And, and I think uh, it's a matter of, I mean, I've even, even in relationships, I, I thought that, uh, you know, in relationships before I thought I was in love, uh, and those uh, relationships haven't worked out. But there have been good times in, in those relationships, and if we can hang on to that instead of looking at, you know, th- there there was good feelings, could have even been love, hang on to that instead of looking at, well, you know, it didn't work out in the end, but focus on, well, There there are some good points there, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think love comes in many frequencies and uh, runs the spectrum, you know, from uh, a lusty kind of sexual, I got to have you, I can't live without you, to, you know, really compassion and mercy and forgiveness and complete selflessness. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, I told you I saved the the hardest for last.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough one. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Okay, Harvey, uh, where can we get your book, The Other Kind of
1: Smart? Well, it's uh, available on on Amazon.com. You can order it through my website, which is uh, The Other Kind of Smart, one word, .com. It's the same as the title of the book. You could order it through your local bookstore if that's what you prefer to do, or uh, you know, just there's a uh, a link on the website will take you directly to to Amazon.
0: Good, Harvey. Thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it, and uh, hope we can do it
1: again down the calendar page. I, w- I would love to. Yes, that was that's a great experience for me. <laughs>
0: Okay, happy springtime to you and your neighbors
1: in Alberta. Happy springtime uh, down south in California. (laughs) You've been
0: listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles. This program is podcast on all platforms and streams at theagelesswisdom.com. It's also available for 60 days in the KPFK archives, kpfk.org. And you can find out more about my work at michaelbenner.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner on KPFK.